This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. What a tremendous joy and privilege uh, to be here, to be here with you in this church, and uh, even to look out at uh, the congregation this large at 9 o'clock on a morning here in North uh, Texas. There has to be a reason you're here, right? has to be a reason on a beautiful Sunday like this, you would make this a priority. And um, if you're a believer, then this morning you've already been reminded not only in terms of what you know, but of what you felt of the rightness of gathering on the Lord's Day with God's people. And then the privilege of singing songs like this. The, the privilege of believing these words and singing them to one another, encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And uh, then preparing ourselves to hear from the Word of God. I have been at this a very long time. And uh, you know, just reviewing the landscape of what has ch- taken place in terms of, say, American evangelical life. If you had told, uh, I I don't know, the average evangelical leader, say, 40 years ago, look, the happiest thing you're going to see is a bunch of people gathered together in the name of Christ in an elementary school auditorium. They would have thought, well, that's that's sort of cool, but has to be very unusual. (laughs) But these days, some of the most encouraging churches in America are doing exactly what you're doing. And uh, you're aiming towards uh, more, but you are exploiting the opportunity you have. And uh, the joy, the full joy, and the full measure of God's people gathered together in worship is, uh, is just present right here, just as it was in the early church, wherever they were. And this is a whole lot more comfortable than a catacomb. So that's really good. I want to tell you how thankful I am for you as a church. You have influence beyond what you know uh, already. It's a very young church. You have, you have enormous influence. Uh, and I want to thank you particularly for your pastor. And uh, Matt Boswell is not only a, a tremendous shepherd of the flock here, he is also a wonderful professor influencing young uh, ministers. Uh, and I just want to tell you, thank you. I just feel like I need to come and tell this church, thank you for sharing Uh, your pastor and your ministry in this way. And, you know, one of the most important parts of Christian joy is uh, the flip side of Christian responsibility, and that is the miracle multiplication that takes place through influence in the Christian church. And here's what we need to do. We need to have more of the right influence and less of the wrong influence. Okay, can we agree on that? Influence is powerful, so we need a lot more of the right influence We want uh, young ministers of the gospel and young Christians confronted with more and more of the right influence, and let's marginalize uh, those who want to make Christianity something else, and those who want to treat Christian worship as something else, and those who want to define down the church as something else. I have a feeling, a knowledge, a a joy this morning in knowing that even as we were gathered in worship, we're doing exactly what Christians have done for 2,000 years. And even more or less in the order in which we did things, in the exact order Christians have been doing them for 2,000 years, in such a way 
that uh, part of our joy in, in Christian worship on the Lord's Day, right here, I don't even know where to say right here, North Dallas right here. I think we passed Frisco. That's where I thought we were. I don't, wherever we are right now, before Oklahoma, uh, wherever we are right now, uh, we are a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, gathered together all over the world on this Lord's Day in preparation for being gathered from every tongue and tribe and people and nation forever with Christ. And so you wonder sometimes, why am I so drawn to be with fellow believers on the Lord's Day? It's because this is what you're going to be doing the rest of your life, which means eternity. And uh, there is no greater calling. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, I was asked this morning, well, what verses will all of them? We're going to walk through the chapter, but we're going to begin just with the opening verses of Matthew chapter 13, a parable of Jesus. And I want us to read it, just hear it together, and then we're going to look closely at God's word. Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Others, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30, he who has ears, let him hear. You don't look bored, but you don't look all that shot. Jesus just spoke this parable, and the expectation of what he was going to say was so great. The crowd was so large that he had to get into a boat and then go offshore just to get enough space that he could be heard. You know, look at the passage before, and particularly at at chapter 12, just notice the kinds of things you have going on here. Jesus has a confrontation uh, there on the Sabbath day. He heals a man with a withered hand. Uh, You just see so many things building here, and uh, all this confrontation, and the the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the Jewish leaders is, is so much that people are just coming out of nowhere in Galilee. I mean, you're talking about vast crowds in Galilee, which is seemingly almost impossible because it's a sparsely territory, sparsely populated territory. I mean, people are just leaving home. They're, they're making it a priority. And the crowd's so large, Jesus had to get into the boat. And so if you're the disciples, you think this must be the golden moment, right? You've been with Jesus with little crowds. You've been with Jesus, you know, here. You've been with Jesus in the synagogue. You know who Jesus is, and you know why he came. You know that this is none other than the Son of the living God. This is the Messiah, and, and, and he is coming to do something, and, and he's revealing what he's come to do to his disciples. But, you know, just imagine in the midst of our culture, something starts, and then all of a sudden there's a great, great crowd that gathers this appears to be the great, unwastable opportunity 
And Jesus is going to speak. Can you imagine the disciples? What in the world is he going to say? He's going to stand up and say, I am the Son of God, the Messiah. They think this is the great opportunity. Now, they're perplexed, and we know this because right after this, they say, we're perplexed. (laughs) Okay, but right now, Jesus gets up, and what's he going to do? And he says, I want to tell you a story about a farmer. A sower went out to sow, and and as he sowed, some seeds fell uh, there, as you see here, you know, just on the roadway, and uh, nothing happened. The birds came and took it away, and then some, some fell in shallow soil, and then, you know, that's the way this kind of agriculture works. Falls in, in shallow soil, shows immediate signs of life, but there are no roots, and as soon as the sun comes out, they, they wither and die. Some fell in the rocky soil and uh, basically was choked out. The thorns, the thorns choked them out with this uh, weed-infested soil. And then some fell in the good soil, and, uh, and it, it brought a harvest, uh, 60-fold, 30-fold, 100-fold. He who has ears, let him hear. You can go home now. You know, is this what the gospel is all about? Seeds? Is, is this what we are to give our lives to? Soil analysis? And by the way, if it is, we are lousy at it because we're incompetent for it. Just as the disciples were. Because theologically, we are horrible at being soil evaluators. We see someone and we say, that guy is going to be responsive to the gospel. Never is. We see this person, we say, she would never yield to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of her sins and become a Christian. And she does. Jesus himself explained this to the disciples. He said, the wind blows where it wills. The Holy Spirit's at work. You just don't know. So you preach the gospel to everyone. And as we shall see, their response to the preaching of the gospel, to the hearing of the gospel, reveals what soil they are. You don't really know because they don't necessarily look stony. They don't necessarily look rocky. They don't necessarily look thorn infested. They may even look promising, but you don't know until they're confronted with the gospel. And then we'll see. Now, the disciples were perplexed by this. And by the way, the parables of Jesus are are also perplexing to many Christians. And uh, one of the reasons that they perplex Christians is for the same reason they perplex the disciples. There's a part of us that would rather have Jesus tell us, okay, here's the point. Because we, we don't like having to figure the point out. We also... Look at the parables of Jesus, and to use a, a, a modern word, we domesticate them. And so you hear domesticate, that basically is a word of sociological analysis, which means you just make it tame and inoffensive and undangerous. People take it up to say you domesticate a, a dog in a house. You know what that means. You train the dog what not to do in the house. Once that happens, the dog is domesticated. Well, we do that to the parables. We just domesticate them. We say, well, Jesus told that parable, but don't worry about it too much. Yeah, I know that's a weird story, but just don't worry about it too much. And then some of them are like this, where it looks like he's just saying, look, so carefully. Or here's a little agriculture advice. 
Now, we can look at it now, and, and we're so smart, we can say, man, the disciples missed the point. But we just need to look each other eye to eye and recognize we are the disciples, and we would not have gotten any more than they got on their own. We, too, would be perplexed. Now, there's a lot going on here. For one thing, there's the time sequence in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' time, the way he would put it, had not yet come. So, in other words, he is not revealing himself the way he would ultimately reveal himself. He knows that he is headed in obedience to the Father, to the cross, and to the entire sequence of events that will take place in Jerusalem. And that will take place on the Father's timetable, not on the disciples' timetable. And, and so all of this is in the background. But as I said, we don't have to wonder that the disciples were perplexed by this because they really evidently looked very perplexed. And they were. It shows up in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Okay, so this is one of those questions that uh, any leader, any leader recognizes is far more explosive than, uh, than first appears. Kind of like Apollo, you know, Apollo 13, you know. Captain, do you really know what's going on? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, you better hope so. Why do you speak them in parables? Now, that is not a stupid question. And by the way, it's not a wrong question. There's nothing wrong with the disciples asking this because if you and I are honest, we'd like to know why Jesus speaks in parables. Now, you know, I, I was a son and grandson, and I'm now a father and grandfather. And you know, that's quite the flip of an equation. By the way, grandfathering is the happiest thing that's ever happened in my life other than my salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was at the Southern Baptist Convention when our daughter was expecting her first. Thousands of people there, this sweet lady, sweet lady. Uh, we were going down, an oh, I was going up an escalator that was four stories, big convention center. She was going down, and this is just this is a great Southern Baptist moment. Okay, so this, this, is, this is being Southern Baptist in 10 seconds. So we pass on the escalator. I'm going up. She's going down. Big smile on her face. I smiled back. have no idea who she is. But she passed me. She says, I hear Katie's going to have a baby. And I said, yes, and I am so happy. And she said, I just have to tell you, being a grandparent is the greatest thing of all. That was very encouraging about being a grandparent, a little theologically disturbing. <laughs> but... I just want you to know, Southern Baptists go right to the edge, and then they recover. That's the way it works, okay? <laughs> and so I'm still going up the escalator. She's going down the escalator, about four stories, when all of a sudden I hear from the bottom of the escalator, set for Jesus, set for Jesus. <laughs> okay, all right, we've recovered. Now we got it. And it is fantastic. But I will tell you that as a son and as a grandson who had a wonderful, faithful Christian father and grandfathers, I always was just hoping for a direct answer. I was perplexed when it came to me like a parable. And I think most of us are kind of like that. We... Uh, we, we would like just to be told, okay, A, B, C, D, you know, get to it, Tiger. That's, that's basically it. But 
sometimes that's not the way we need to learn things. Parables are hand grenades. Jesus takes the pen out and throws them in the crowd. And they go off. And, and the parables made people angry. So angry that the parables are one of the, one of the reasons why the crowds turned on Jesus, and especially the Jewish authorities, and eventually crucified him. So if, if these stories are stories that got Jesus in that much trouble, maybe we better look at him a little more closely. And, and here's the disciple asking for other disciples, because they're confused. Why do you speak them in parables? It looks like it's a safe question, a good question, a homiletical question. You know, you got younger preachers asking older preachers, why did you do that? Why did you do that? There's a way of doing that, and there's another way of doing it, like, why did you do that? You had this vast crowd in Galilee, unprecedented, spectacular, great opportunity, and you talked to them about seed and sent them home? What's going on here? Look how Jesus answers. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. For blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is one of the most explosive passages in all the Gospels. This is where a lot of preachers skip it. They just go from Jesus telling the parable in the beginning of chapter 13 and explaining it beginning in verse 18 at the end of the passage. They don't want to deal with what's here in the middle. But the way Matthew, by the Holy Spirit, gives this to us, that is really the whole point. What connects all this together is the disciples being perplexed and going to Jesus and asking, why do you speak to them in parables? And, you know, you might expect Jesus is going to say, well, you know, just in terms of instructional theory, uh, the use of narrative, and particularly in short narrative bursts, can be very effective in the, in the instructional task. A good teacher might just consider from time to time, use didactic approaches in which you say one, two, three, four, and you also use parabolic narrative forms of instruction. You might want to just put that in your little toolkit for, uh, you know, when you're dealing with a crowd. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus says, I tell them the parable that way because they're not going to get it. Wait just a minute, Jesus. Uh, you say, you spoke the parable because they're not going to get it. And you're, you're concerned that I am right now misrepresenting what Jesus said. So I just dare you to look at the words. Look at what Jesus said. This is God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God's word. Eternally it will stand. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you, that is to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is perplexing. If it doesn't perplex you, you're not listening. Jesus says, look, you ask me why I speak to them in parables. Number one, it has been given to you to know the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, meaning the gospel, but to them it hasn't been given. Uh, okay. And besides that, they are dull, their hearts are hard. In them, Jesus says, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, this could not be more perfect. This is God's providence because this passage is what follows our call to worship this morning. It's the call passage of Isaiah. And after God called Isaiah and Isaiah said, here am I, send me after that incredible vision of God, high and lifted up with his train filling the temple, holy, holy, holy. What happens later? Isaiah is told to go. He says, here am I, send me. And God says, yeah, okay, I'm going to send you, but they're not going to hear you. Their ears are waxen. They will not listen. They have hardened their hearts. But then you remember the end of it. You remember the end of it. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Then he concludes this little passage, his explanation by saying, But blessed are your eyes, the disciples, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The other people, they're not going to hear, lest they turn and be healed. Okay, so Jesus is not trying to confuse his disciples, but I want to be really honest here. Jesus is trying to shake them up. He is, he is presenting them with something they're going to have to think through. And one of the most interesting things about the parables is just when you think you know where he's going and you think it's about someone else, the anchor comes ripping along and snags you. The whole thing was about you, and it requires you to rethink what you might otherwise think and see the gospel as you might not otherwise see it. Even in Isaiah, let's work backwards on this for a moment. When, when the Lord tells Isaiah, they will not receive your message, their hearts are hardened, their ears are dull, they, their eyes are blind, you're, you're, doing this, you're doing this for frustration's sake. I'm calling you to be my prophet, and you're going to convey my word to my people, but they're not going to hear it. They're not going to see it. They're not going to receive it. But then notice this. Notice this little turn. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus said to the disciples, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been 
given. Jesus is saying, look, they couldn't understand this if they wanted to. In fact, before this passage is over, Jesus tells the disciples, it is not perplexing. It's not even an interesting question why the crowds didn't understand it. The big question is, why didn't you? And, and Jesus, in the Gospels, almost never explains this parable, but he does right here, and he's going to do that, and we'll turn to that in a moment. That's, that's how the passage concludes. So in other words, the disciples said, we don't get why you spoke to them in parables, and Jesus says, well, you, that's pretty consistent with the fact you didn't get the parable. If you think it's just about a sower and soils, you know, we, you know, think, guys, think. But here's something we need to note. Something we need to note about the power of God in salvation and the purpose of God in salvation, the glory of God in salvation. So I want to speak to believers this morning. You are those to whom Jesus says, blessed are your eyes for you they see and your ears for they here. You're, you are the ones, we are the ones to whom Jesus says, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, that sounds pretty good. That's, uh, we can, I mean, on, on the ledger here where there's the not hear and the hear and the not see and the see, let's be really honest, we're really glad to have Jesus tell us we're in the hear and see group. And that's why we're believers, and that's why we're here. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But Jesus also uses language here that we better look at very carefully. To them it has not been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to you it has been given. Guess what? Those of us who by grace have come to know and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we didn't open our eyes. We didn't open our ears. They were opened for us by the Father to draw us to the Son so that what we otherwise would not see and would not hear, we saw and heard. This is the sovereign operation of God that is the, that is the mechanism of grace. It is the call of the gospel. It is the illumination and the awakening that comes that is the experience of every believer because there's a moment when we don't see and there's a moment when we see. We were blind as we know to sing and now I see. But you know what? There is no gospel there if we all of a sudden say, okay, I got it. I figured it out. I opened my eyes. I opened my ears. But there's not going to be anyone in heaven who opened his eyes or opened her ears. This is the sovereignty of God's grace. This is the purity of God's grace. We didn't open our eyes a little bit, and God just opened the rest. We were blind, and now we see. Okay, so this gets to another question. Why in the world do we preach the gospel? I mean, that's what we do. This is, this is throwing seed. And we tell people the good news that though we are sinners with no hope, God in Christ is reconciling us to himself. Through the substitutionary atonement of the Son, through the death, burial, and resurrection, he bore our sin. He paid the price for our sin. He was vindicated by the Father on the third day in the resurrection. And salvation comes to anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and repents of sin. But I think we all know we didn't do that. Well, we did do that. 
But we didn't do that because the doing of it was our doing. We didn't make ourselves see. We didn't make ourselves hear. We were made to see and we were made to hear. Now, this is another twist in this passage. Maybe we didn't notice this because even in the call passage to Isaiah, following in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, even as the Lord was high and lifted up and even as he called out and said, who will go for me? And and Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And by the way, people love this for ordination services, but they are very careful to stop before the passage goes on to what Jesus mentions here. Oh yeah, but your ministry is going to be a complete failure. But Isaiah's ministry wasn't a complete failure. And and that's where we need to look very carefully. We won't go back to Isaiah 6. We'll just look at Isaiah 6 in Matthew 13. Look, for this people's heart is drawn dull, and and with their eyes they can barely hear, and, and their ears they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That lust is massive. So here's, a, here's a, what turns out. It turns out, and if you're shocked by this, I'm going to be surprised. But this is actually Jesus explaining why we're not shocked by this. When the gospel is preached, people's eyes are opened and their ears are opened and they see and they hear and they believe. And you know what? It's not very predictable. Any preacher of any time knows the unpredictability of grace. I was talking to a young pastor the other day and had a lunch with a group of pastors and one of the most fun things I get to do. And, uh, and, and, and look, I imagine this is true of doctors. You get younger doctors and older doctors together and you know, they, they really kind of need each other. And younger pastors and older pastors, kind of the same thing, but I don't care where I land, I don't care where we're eating lunch, I don't care whether it's barbecue or what, the conversation's the same. And a part of the conversation is a younger pastor saying something like, I do not understand the ministry. I've been in this five years, and I do not understand it. And I don't understand it because on the Sundays, I think everything's going well, nothing happens. And on the Sundays, I think everything's going wrong. People seem to respond to the gospel in a way, even just the responding to the preaching of the word, and I don't get it. And if there's a wise older pastor in the, in the group, he's going to say, well, let me just tell you, you're not going to get it before you retire. I mean, this is just the way it is. It's, it's the way the word works. The wind blows where it wills. Where it wills, Jesus says. In other words, the Holy Spirit works as the Holy Spirit works. God sovereignly does what God sovereignly does, but God sovereignly chooses the instrumentation of the gospel, which is the preaching of the word of God, and the preacher's job, the church's job, the Christian's job is to make sure the gospel is proclaimed, and then things happen. And it's unpredictable. What is predictable is that the response to the gospel is not going to be the same. That's entirely predictable. Some is going to be like the roadway. Some is going to be like the shallow emotional response where there's an immediate sign of response to the gospel, but it's, it's just excitement. It's just emotivism. It, it, it goes away. Some of it is really complicated, and people are trying to be in the world and in the church, in Christ, and, and in the world at the same time, and, and, and there's no fruit from that. And then 
Some is like the good soil. It produces a harvest beyond any estimation. He who has ears, let him hear. There's just no way around the sovereignty of God in this passage. And we need to understand that. We also need to train our hearts to exult in that. Because that's the very ground of our salvation. That God is absolutely sovereign. And he sovereignly chooses to use the preaching of the gospel to call believers unto himself by the Son. How God does that is explained to us in Scripture in terms of what we would call the order of salvation. How God chooses, how God elects beyond our understanding. But there's no way around affirming this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus didn't then say, so be really careful about your preaching the gospel. Look for the good soil and preach only to the good soil. The seed is the gospel. You be careful who you share that with. You don't want to waste it on people whose ears are never going to be open and whose eyes are never going to see. Not what Jesus says. As you look at the passage in verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away which is what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. You know, our knowledge of the soils is definitely important for two, two reasons. Number one, we need to know that not everyone is going to respond to the gospel the same way. And there's some predictable patterns. But it's, it's useful to us in another way, and that is this. You know the soil by what it produces, the long-term test of Christian faithfulness is their fruitfulness. But the other thing we need to know is that on the front end, and what the preacher does Lord's Day by Lord's Day is to preach the word and to proclaim the gospel and to look out at a congregation like this, not knowing, because God doesn't give to the preacher to know. That's a good thing. It's a, good, it's, a, it's a grace that he doesn't give to the preacher to know who is what soil. He just gives the preacher the promise that the good soil that receives the seed is transformed and produces a harvest, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And I'll tell you, that's what we hang on. Our task is not to sample the soil, but to spread the seed and then watch the miracle of what God does with it, calling sinners to him. And in the church, a church just like this, making Christians fruitful. And fruitful means Faithful.
He, she who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.